Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester. Ken loves talking about cars and automotive trends. And here he is, the automotive host with the most, Ken Chester. Real facts, real opinions, real talk. Welcome to Roadworthy Drive, America's premier mobility news and technology talk show. I am your fully caffeinated host for this hour, Ken Chester. <laughs> we have a lot to get to. But first, if you're a regular listener of the Roadworthy Drive crew, you know exactly how to chime in on the topics at hand. If you're a newbie to the program, let me give you the 411 you need to know. First, you can call or text the Roadworthy Drive line, that number, 872-222-9793. If you'd rather write, my email is Ken at roadworthydrive.net. Either way, we'll get you hooked up with me and the rest of the Roadworthy Drive crew. And uh, speaking of the crew, we're fortunate this week to be at full roster for this hour. Holding things down and keeping the suits happy at the controls is my friend and show executive producer, Jack. Over at Mike 2 is the vivacious and very opinionated Lady Sasha. Howdy, my peoples. Hi, Ken. Hello, Ken. How we be doing? Um, it's hot outside. But oh, it's, oh, it's everybody's not as bad safe. As it you didn't used get, to be. Yeah, but nobody got caught up in that bad weather we had. Uh, no. Oh, Luck, okay. Luckily, no. However, you know a friend of mine okay. who was up working at a certain building material store in Altoona okay. who actually shot the picture oh, of really? a tornado going through uh, a, the town of Bonnerant. Yeah. Is was he the he one that one? got the house? No. That she. One? Oh. Oh, was she the one that got the sisters? Like the one with the both of the tornadoes nope. right there? Nope. She only, she only got one because it was just like, and for those of you that don't know, there were three tornadoes that basically went 27 through. Twenty-seven tornadoes in Iowa confirmed on Thursday, and in the town that we that Ken and I live in, perfectly clear. Yeah. No rain. We, no we clouds. Had, no. Life it was, was a wonderful. perfectly clear yep. day. Wasn't and even that thing, hot. And this thing came up, Ken. Before we get started with the parts bin. Yes, sir. Um, I have a show idea. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, this week, I finally got to talk to, I, first off, let me back up. At the end of June, I had an accident with my pickup. Somebody ran into me. and In his pretty pickup. Yes. Brand new pickup. And it ended up being that I was able to talk Ford. to their insurance company this week. They took full responsibility for the accident. Mm -hmm. And they <laughs> sent me this estimator. Okay. As an app. Okay. I got everything done except the most important thing. It didn't Press issue send. the check. <laughs> well, no. I could not get either one of the places on the vehicle where the VIN is. I could not get the camera to snap a picture. That's interesting. Why not? I have no – I couldn't get it focused. Mm -hmm. And the problem was there was either too much light or not enough light. Mm -hmm. And when I did the one that's on the side of the uh, – what do you call that between the doors, Ken? Uh, yeah, the B pillar. Yeah, the B pillar. Um, couldn't get it there either. Mm. And so I now have to wait till Monday. I'm probably going to have to take the truck over to the insurance companies. Okay, we have a, a claims area where you can go in and get your estimate. And hopefully I can start getting it fixed this week. Uh, actually, usually what that is is a matter of focus and light. It matter just pull the camera back. I did. Then you couldn't read it. 
Yeah, well. Print's too small. Ah. And there's be. no way to adjust it, to widen it, mm. or, or zoom in or zoom out. It, so your story idea is what? Let's, at some point in time, start talking about the app that are out there by the insurance companies and how effective are they? There are a lot of apps <laughs> across uh, the automotive plane. We, we might do that. That sounds like a Sasha uh, thought, but we'll take that under advisement. Okay. Now, Ken, what is in the parts bin this week? Uh, I want to talk about the first publicly accessible hydrogen station in Hawaii. In Al- Hawaii. Aloha. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Been um, there. Okay. Actually set up by the Toyota dealer. I'm not even pronounce this name. Mapapunan. Mapapuna Puna? Mapuna Puna. Okay. I didn't make this up. That's where I it know. is. I um, know. They set it up, and it's able to produce uh, 20 kilograms of hydrogen daily, can store approximately 100 kilograms of hydrogen on site, um, enough for 12 full vehicle fill-ups. Now, Toyota does make a hydrogen-powered vehicle. I actually test drove one a couple of years ago, the Mirai. Mm-hmm. They introduced the Mirai uh, to Hawaii in 2016. There's a few on the island. And uh, now they're making it more widely available with this station set up. Um, the Mirai will be offered for lease only, which will include servicing hydrogen fuel at, and hydrogen fuel after a down payment. Sounds like a deal to me. Okay. They're talking about an EPA range of 312 miles on a full tank wow. and a combined city highway fuel economy rating of 66 miles per gallon. That is really good. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Fuel cell vehicle. So that's a gasoline equivalent. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I thought I'd share that. I thought it was pretty cool. With everything going on, hydrogen is trying to make a... Uh, trying to become relevant or stay relevant. Mm-hmm. And you're seeing little pieces of hydrogen, and Toyota is one of the main companies leading that charge. Shifting gears, no pun intended, <laughs> um, we go to Germany. Porsche has opened a fast-changing electric charging park featuring an 800-volt fast charger. Wow. Did I mention 800 volts? You did, and now I'm going to start questioning that from the standpoint of can can my car battery, if I have an electric, go in there and get charged and not, and not get it burnt? It depends. Well, it depends on the setup. It, okay. There are different levels of charging. You've got the slow charging. You've got fast charging. It really depends on the programming and how the car is set up. And, and, how, what, do, and how do we know what how the car is set up? Uh, you would know that. That would be in your instructions when you bought it as to what it would support and what it wouldn't support. Um, are you telling me I have to go read the owner's manual now? There's probably a quick manual in most of these vehicles that would give you that information. Yeah, there's okay. that big, the dealer, big one, and then there's like this little record. 20, yeah. Now, it's set up. This is actually uh, the average fast changing, the fast charging uh, station typically is 400 volts. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're getting there. Uh, they think that uh, this charging time is 40 to 80 minutes traditionally. With the 800 votes, it brings it down to 20 minutes. That is really good. And they're setting it up. These are in test. They're setting it up for Porsche's new all-electric vehicle, the Taycan. Um, and it will be the first series production vehicle to, f- to feature the 800-volt technology, and that's coming out next year. Now, I do have a question about that. Are these are they setting up these stations in, like, 
restaurant type thing? I don't know, because all I'm talking about right now is the fact that it exists in a test Mm -hmm. and that they're getting it ready for when Porsche rolls out the Taycan next year. That's all I know. I was just curious if somebody has actually made that commitment. It just makes sense to me if you're going to be sitting there for 20 minutes that it would also accompany, you know, like a sandwich shop or something like that. The bigger question. Now, bear in mind, these are set up at at company sites now Mm -hmm. in Germany. Uh, The big question I've got, the article talks about, and this is directly from Porsche. uh, The charging park is available for charging all electric vehicles for free during normal opening hours. Um, the question is, when you say all, do you literally mean, can I bring a Tesla in there? Can I bring a Nissan Leaf in there? Can I bring uh, I don't Chevy know. Bolt? Yeah. Well, probably in Germany, there probably ain't that many. Uh, You're true. probably right about uh, that. But it doesn't say. So we'll see. I thought that was also interesting because what you see there is in a test will eventually get here. Yep. And that's the thing. Um, one more thing before we go to break. Um is a company called uh, Dubuck Motors, which is uh, introducing the world's one of the world's first and fastest all-electric four-seater sports cars. And you can order one, Jack. It's American. Okay. Uh, you can pre-order. $125,000 will cost. $5,000 cash will reserve yours. Mm. What? Oh, no. Yeah, what? Like, oh. I got that hanging around. I, well, we thought you did. Right. So the next budget meeting. Uh, yeah. Y'all, y'all are in denial. <laughs> and it's not a river in Egypt. Thank oh, you. my goodness. <laughs> now, they're pitching this car specifically uh, to a specific consumer base of the 11% of the demographic of big and tall men in North America. Their words, as well as to women who are seeking a luxurious sports car that's flexible to their lifestyle. The extra row of seats and generous cargo space allows for daily commutes and is even more so versatile to the needs of a family. Somehow, I don't see my family in an electric sports car. I don't either. Just saying. I can see that. Uh, No, I can see that. You probably could. Right. Uh, It's called a Tomahawk. Okay. And they're looking at launching it here in late 2018. So for $125,000, you can own one. Upon our return, reasons why diesel ain't dead in America. Real facts, real opinions, real talk. We are Roadworthy Drive. This is Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester. Sixty-four Dodge Dart. The new kind of compact in the large economy's eyes. Get behind the wheel of this one. Here's the compact you've been looking for. Family-sized room. Power to spare. Rugged. Good-looking as they come. Dodge Dart, the family-sized compact at the little compact price. 
You gotta meet up with a dependable spoobum. With a dependable spoobum. With a dependable, dependable, built by God. Sixty-four Dodge Dart, the new kind of compact in the large economy size. If you're just joining us, you're riding with the Roadworthy Drive crew. Welcome. I'm Ken Chester. You would think with all this negative publicity surrounding diesel fuel and diesel-powered vehicles, other than tractor-trailer, of course, of course. Uh, for, that from Volkswagen to Daimler, even to Ford and General Motors, that it is curtains for diesel. Uh, and I say to you, sir... Not so fast. And I will tell you something. I've been looking mm-hmm. at pickups for my dad. Okay. The majority of the pickups, and they, and they have your size, like the, the 350 or the 3500, mm-hmm. they are all diesel. Oh, look, all I'm saying is just because it hasn't keeled over and died does not mean that it's not on life support. Uh, I mean, there's a few bleeps going across the monitor, but we all know at the end of the day, the will is written. Everything's in order. They've got the plot. They've, you know, nailed against the tombstone. Yeah. Are you done? Not yet. Uh, from SEMA, our friends at SEMA. Yes. The Specialty SEMA. Equipment Market Association. Mm-hmm. Um, diesel market update. That's July. Okay. Finding the best way forward for the U.S. market. Let me read this to you. All right. The diesel powertrain has always been a great necessity for the American driver, but perhaps it's never garnered the love and recognition it truly deserves. Most appreciated for its functionality around the farm or on the job site, Mm -hmm. diesel is the fuel of choice for many full-size trucks, utility vans, and other heavy-duty work vehicles. But while many are quick to reserve the application of diesel power sources solely to those who Solely to those work vehicles, the market shows a thirst for more applications. Once considered a more polluting, noisier alternative to the typical combustion engine back in the 70s and 80s, diesel powertrains nevertheless earned a place under the hoods of commercial vehicles across the United States. After decades of refinement and development, the current U.S. diesel market, still largely composed of the the same utility vehicles, but a desire to further diesel's presence in other vehicle classes is an expanding, cool school of thought. Let me throw this at you, Sasha. And I start with this, and I quote from SEMA, American original equipment manufacturers double down. Okay, but this reminds me of when I was younger, the, what was it, the Volkswagen Rabbit Diesel. nineteen eighty. Then there was another one that was GM like, tried a bunch of them. Yeah. I mean, there was some cars that, I mean, I 1990s. And if you could get yourself a hold of one of those rabbit diesels or if you can get a hold of, uh, there was another one that. Oldsmobile, Pontiac, Chevrolet, no, all the anyway, full-size ones. But there was, there was another model that, I mean, people went goo-goo over. I mean, if you had one in the used paper, it was not there long. The brand new 1980 Volkswagen rabbit diesel was selling at dealers back that day mm-hmm. for over two grand over sticker. Yeah. I remember. Uh, let me throw this at you. Now, this article goes on to say that Japanese companies kind of avoid it altogether, and that's not true. In 2019, two makes are actually introducing their first ever dieselforsale.com in the United States. Which now- two? The 2019 Hyundai Santa Fe. The 2019 Kia Sorento. 
will saying, both be offered in a diesel. Didn't first ever? Didn't Chevy take one of their cars recently and make it a diesel? The Cruze, yeah, Chevy Cruze Cruz had a diesel. But wait a minute, Ford announced a Power Stroke diesel option for the 2018 F-150. First time ever what, in a half-ton truck. What do you think is fueling this re-infatuation with diesel engines? Like, uh, when you... Yeah, a big list. One, they're cleaner. Two, than they, they were in the past. Two, oh, God, yes. they go for yeah. miles and miles. Yeah. Three, they're durable as all get out. It is not uncommon to run 300,000 miles in one of these things before they even need any maintenance. But, so do you think... Go ahead. Do you think that... Uh, Obviously, we all know that they're more durable. They last longer. So do you think that we're getting away from my car's four years old and I'm going to go ahead and trade it in? And now we're moving towards people that they're going to make the big purchase and then they're just going to ride it into the ground. Ah, uh, That's been going on for 20 years. That's well, been... not necessarily because yeah. we got into this mind folk that, you know, people would no. just turn around. Uh, uh, hold on. The average age of an American vehicle on the road right now is 11.4 years. OK, that's right now. And I need to throw this in. Because this is going to really blow our mind. Um, Hyundai and Kia are not alone. There's another automaker that's going to offer a diesel for the first time ever in the United States in, 20, um, in 2018. Um, are you ready for it? The Jeep Wrangler has a diesel option now. Four-cylinder four Jeep Wrangler. Okay. Uh, the Hang first on. time ever. I've been trying to get this point for two, three minutes here. <laughs> just, just three? Just three. Okay. What you got? Um, in looking for trucks for dad. Okay. The difference in price is darn near $10,000 because, and the majority of that is the upcharge for the diesel engine. Okay. It's like $8,500, $9,000 to get that engine. Mm-hmm. I can buy a lot of gas for 9500 bucks. Yeah, but part of that is they press you into a higher trim level. Because oh, true. Because yes. the average well, actually actually no because in one one of the trucks I looked at, it was all the way down at the XL. And those were all diesel. Now, is that because you had to go commercial? Like are those like specialty order ones? Well, no. You you go you go out and look at any of the heavy 2500 3500 F250 F350. Right. The majority of those sitting on the lot today are diesel. I, I need I need to make this point before we go to break. Um this is from SEMA. As the market grows for new diesels, the aftermarket's growing too. SEMA market research shows that more, there's more than 6 million diesel trucks in operation in the United States, a million more vans, SUVs and sedans add to that total, creating an expansive Aftermarket opportunity. Those companies that have expanded in the aftermarket can't keep up with it. There's this one that opened seven years ago as a Power Stroke specialty shop for Ford. Uh, their expanding customer base uh, had them add Duramax, which is GM, and Cummings, uh, which is Ram, which the shop now obliges. They can't keep up with it. So the bottom line is it's growing. And it's a choice. It's another choice in Ken's mosaic of mobility. And that's what I really think it is. So um, they told us that peak oil was in 1970. Yet the United States keeps setting output records for crude oil and natural gas production. Find out who is number three producer of crude in the world and why it matters. That's next. Real facts, real opinions, real talk. You're riding shotgun with Roadworthy Drive Crew.
You're tuned to Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester. Real opinions, real talk. This is segment number three of this hour of Roadworthy Drive. So glad you decided to drop in. I'm Ken Chester. Did you know that the show website is a great place to learn more about Roadworthy Drive? That's uh, roadworthydrive.com, and it has all the information you could ever want about the show, the Roadworthy Drive crew, and heaven knows what else. In addition, it's a great place to discover where we are in the world of social media. Now, if you like watching how we strive and sometimes struggle to put the show together each week, you can tune into our YouTube channel to watch Roadworthy Drive behind the scenes each and every Sunday okay. afternoon. I have a question. Yes. How in the world did she get that Lexus she's driving? Well, you know what? We're about to talk about that. Let me go a little further. Okay. If you happen to like us on Facebook, we've developed a weekly Facebook only. Did I mention only? Only. Only. Video series just for you called Wheels of Non-Consent. And it's hosted by Sasha of the crew. And she, uh, according to her, borrows her, uh, well, you know, I'm going to let her explain it. Okay, so. You're going to try to, you know. I, I'm going to try and put this into layman's terms. Go for it. So, Ken, Okay, you got to explain it to Jack. Right. So Ken gets um, automotives every week. Mm-hmm. Um, vehicles. Automotives. Vehicles. I could say on, vehicles. Thank you. Combustion engine slash hybrid Slash occasionally full electric. Slash full electric, yes. Thank you. Um, vehicles. I thought that it would be a nice opportunity to show the public what's available for their dollar. Um, I thought that it was a great opportunity to show what's available for technology um, mm-hmm. for their dollar. Uh, what the different brands offer. What they're actually putting into the vehicles. Uh, for somebody like me where my car is a 2002, stepping into a 2019 Lexus you know, 350 ES, we, first time edition. Sport. sport. Uh, we want it back. I mean. No, Sasha. <laughs> Grand <laughs> Theft Auto. <laughs> it's a felony, uh, dear. Uh, I mean. I'm not explaining if, it to Lexus. If I make it to Vegas and I b- come up with the money to buy the car, is it really technically Grand Theft Auto? Kind yes. of. Because <laughs> number one. The vehicle you're reviewing this week is yes. a pre-production model. I know. So it's not even available in the market yet. Yeah, you can't uh, even you can't even go to your Lexus dealer right now and say, "Can you tell me about this and, new car?" And by the way, yes sir. That car will probably be destroyed. Not no. necessarily. Oh, really? I thought I thought with the, with, not, the, with the pre-production that they not no. necess- not okay. necessarily. Uh it may never be registered, but well wait a minute, take that back. It is registered now. Yeah. So it uh-huh. may never be sold. Ah, that's what I should say. Um, also, uh, not quite a spoiler alert, but it's possible that uh, during this week's report that Sasha will be doing, she may be making some national news. Huh? Yeah. Sasha <laughs> might be making some national news. That's all I'm going to say. Now, what did she do? Uh, <laughs> Uh, and, and I'm serious. That's the thing. Yeah. I'm very yeah. serious. She might be making okay. some national when the news. Mic, when the mics are off, somebody better tell me what's going on. <laughs> Don't worry. It does not involve handcuffs or law enforcement. I mean, do we have to? Sorry. Yeah. 
Easy, Sasha. Let's move on. So, people, <laughs> wheels of non-consent. Wheels of non-consent. Make sure that you like my page, Tech with Sasha. Um, and, and it wouldn't hurt to like the uh, Roadworthy Drive page, It would too. not hurt at all to Thank like the you. Roadworthy Drive uh, Facebook page. But at least then you'll be alerted when I go live. I have been known to go live spontaneously while I'm in the car. Combu- just- spontaneous combustion? I mean, have you you've driven this car, Ken? You know the power that happens when you press down on the accelerator. All I'm going to say, Sasha. Yes, sir. The car is due back <laughs> Thursday morning. Make sure we get it back. <laughs> now, for those of you that are truly mobile, check us out on Google Play or Blueberry Podcasting. All right, coming back to Earth for a minute. Yes. Um, again, last couple of weeks, we've been kind of taking a little detour. We talk about all sorts of things here in Roadworthy Drive uh, because we, we're all about mobility. Now, we don't want to slight or throw shade on crude oil. So occasionally, it, since it's going to be a part of our lives for at least the foreseeable future, uh, according to Sasha, a dramatically diminishing part of our lives, but a part of our lives nonetheless. Uh, I thought I would talk about the irony that even as the world is moving towards electric vehicles and other vehicles that don't burn fossil fuels, yep. that the United States of America is in the process of becoming number one in the production of these uh, uh, crude oil. Yep. Plunging drilling costs have sparked an explosion of production in this particular state and is making that particular state a global oil superpower. Um. It is number three behind Russia and Saudi Arabia. That state with its own set of problems? Yes, sir. Texas. Give the man a cookie. I I am fresh out of cookies. It is Texas. Two fields in Texas alone, the Permian Basin and the Eagle Ford oil fields, are expected to produce 5.6 million barrels a day. Okay. Can I point out the fact that... Now that everyone else is backing away from the game, just because you and your team are the last ones on the field and you're still racking up points because the other team's already in the locker room? Actually. Hold it. The, the biggest thing is, though, Sasha, in Texas, is the fact that they've gone back in now to fields that were supposedly empty. I had heard that, and like what, dry fields. And what they're finding is they didn't get all the oil. It's called computer uh enhancement yeah mm-hmm. it's called they're fracking they're using new technology they're able to get more out of the fields but remember texas uh produces half the oil we produce and contrary to sasha's belief we're still talking hundreds of millions of barrels of oil a day around the world that get pulled out of the ground and still get consumed and also don't forget this oklahoma north dakota california and Alaska are all oil states. Yeah. Here's something else you need to know. Uh, in the Permian Basin, where everybody is rushing to get there, there is such a rush to produce oil because it's gotten so cheap to pull out the ground. Mm-hmm. The pipelines are overloaded. They can't deliver it. Okay, hang oh. on. Where, where, is, where is this field at? The basin? Uh, yeah, in Texas. I'm not sure exactly where. Okay, but it is in Texas. Oh, yeah. We're still talking Texas. Okay. Oh, no. I thought it was the one that's up in the northern part. or is it thought, No, 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 no. We're talking Texas, not North Dakota. No, no, no. I meant in the southern part of I'm Texas. I'm not really sure where it is. I don't know. Uh, but I will tell you this. It's the crisis of finding uh, recruitment. They need drivers. They need water. They need all this stuff. To make it happen, the rush is so bad, and they can't get all the oil out the ground. 
that they're currently developing mm -hmm. that actually per barrel oil coming out of the Permian Basin is actually now selling at a $14 discount. Oh, my God. Wow. Because the oil, the oil uh, pipelines are choked. They can't deliver it. Wow. They cannot even deliver it right now. Now, the best performing well in the Permian breaks even, get this, at $22 a barrel. Wow. They can make money. At $22 a barrel. $22.01. They're making money. Wow. More than ever, the fast-growing Permian Basin is being relied on to quench the world's thirst for oil. Texas, y'all, don't mess with Texas. That's all I'm saying. Mm -hmm. And if you're a truck driver down there, you can making some serious bank, is all I'm saying, in six figures. Okay, so finally, much has been written about the habits of millennials, especially how they spend money and view mobility. We take a look to separate fact from fiction. Real facts, real opinions, real talk. This is Roadworthy Drive. Roadworthy Drive is a cornerstone of the Roadworthy Drive radio network. This is the final segment for this hour of Roadworthy Drive. I'm your host, Ken Chester. Thanks for listening. For the last topic up for discussion, I thought I would talk about millennials. Now, in case you didn't know, that means people born between 1981 or so through about 1996 are classified as millennials. That would make them from about 22 years old through about 37 years of age. Wait a minute. Oh. Sasha. You're one of them so-called millennials. I am not. Imagine I barely that. make it. But you make it dull. <laughs> so, Sasha, actually, this segment's sort of about you. Everything's about me, though. Mm. Let, let's let's talk about... <laughs> I know, Jack. I know. Jack. Just roll with it, man. I, I understand. <laughs> let, let me give you some perspective of why okay. this matters. Okay. Now, you and me, Jack, we're part of the baby boomer generation. Wow. At 77 million people. I'm in the isolation. Now, between us and Sasha is the Gen Xers. Correct. That's 61 million. So it dropped a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, apparently, the Gen Xers was a happy group of people <laughs> because millennials come in at 92 Ooh. million. That's yep. almost one out of every three Americans right now is a millennial. That's a lot of. Now I'm frightened. Yeah. That's a lot of commercialization right there. Mm -hmm. yep. mm -hmm. Yeah, and these wonderful uh, individuals, young nice. adults, we'll call them young adults, okay. are about to move into their prime spending years. Now, I'm looking at it, I am looking at some data, believe it or not, that came from, as Jack would say, wait for it, mm. Goldman Sachs. Now, tell me, are they saying millennials are spending like millions of dollars in the fake currency? For now, hold on. We're going to get all there. Let's let's talk about let's just set this up properly. Okay. Uh, would you believe that right now, approximately twenty eight percent of millennials are living at home with their parents? Yes, I would believe that. Yes, that. Um, here's something else. That these same millennials, the percentage of young people married and living on their own, has dropped by more than fifty percent since the nineteen sixties. Yep. In nineteen sixty eight. Um, 56% of 18 to 31-year-olds were married and living in their old household. 
by 2012, that was 23%. Again, that does not surprise me. doesn't surprise me yeah. either. But think about that. That has – if they're not out buying houses yeah. and starting families, yep. living with mom and dad – It's gotten to be too expensive, though. And we're also talking about a situation where the millennials, they aren't focused on that so much. But but bear this in mind. The millennials were coming of age during the recession. That's true. They were. And they want, for some reason, the ones that I meet, all they want is the carefree lifestyle. I do too. Can no, I go they want to. Well, no, but well, I mean, we all we all do. But the other, also the other thing is, they want to start out exactly where their parents started out. Oh no! Now see the ones that I'm coming into. They're the ones that they literally want to make a bus into something that they just drive, and they are perfectly happy as clams to live as like gypsies Let, rolling around in their wagon. This is this is the page I wanted to get to. Okay, and this is the one that's most chilling about their. Their thought process towards owning a vehicle. Okay. Okay. Out of 100%, only 15% view a vehicle ownership as extremely important. I'm right in there. That's where I'm a millennial. On the flip side, Mm -hmm. that's even scarier. 30%, I do not intend to purchase one in the near future. Then you've got the middle ground from everything. 25% say it's important but not a big priority. 5%, I don't feel strongly about it. 25%, this is telling. I might purchase one if I really needed it but indifferent otherwise. This has major consequences as these young people are coming into buying age starting families if one-fourth of them are living at home, if Um, A small portion of them is getting married. You've got a lot of single folks, and that's different needs, which means full-size trucks, full-size cars, full-size minivans. SUVs. Well, not all SUVs, the big ones. And here's here's the other thing that, Ken, you and I have discussed this many, many times. Mm -hmm. The two biggest purchases you will ever make is a house, and it is a, um, a car. Yep. Now, how many times have you and I talked about money turn, changing hands? Right. Okay. That is exponential. Right. Now, they're not spending this money on the two biggest things you will ever buy, and all of a sudden, you know, they're going to find out that they are in a world of hurt. Well, the economy becomes a world oh, of hurt, yeah. which is why I wanted to talk about well, it. Well, which, if, that, if the economy comes uh, in a bunch of hurt, then... Um, well, let, you got you got bigger problems later on. Well, but that's let's, going to affect them, right? But let's look at this. If fifteen percent say that owning a car is extremely important, and we're in the mosaic of mobility, some are going to ride scooters, bicycles, uh, ride share, carpool, car share, um, Uber and Lyft, covering the gamut now of transportation with apps that even work from, including public transportation so that you can coordinate once you get off the train, the bus, whatever, uh, with an Uber, a Lyft, a bicycle, a scooter, a car. This is where we're going. So what does that mean for the auto industry, for the retail auto industry, for the insurance industry, for the suppliers, for the dealers, for the insurance companies, for the banks, all these people who are in business to insure, finance, 
deliver, create vehicles. But we've talked about this. I mean, you're talking about an age where their main buyers are getting older. Yep. And the next generation, they don't want it. They don't want the responsibility of a vehicle. They don't want the cost of the vehicle. And I think that's exactly why we are seeing a shift Mm -hmm. and an explosion on choices you know, you've got Canvas, you've got these, you know, they pay the monthly. Really? You I had, had to. to. Yeah, I had really? to. It's wow. been like a month since I mentioned them. Yeah. And I'm hoping it's like a year before By you four. do it again. <sighs> anyway, um, but you have these <laughs> different options. I mean, I would do it. I would give up owning a car hands down tomorrow. And see, I'm completely opposite. I will not give up the right to own a car. It's not a right. It's let a me, let, let me uh, throw. If I have the money. Let yeah. me throw this at you. Uh, to superimpose on top of that, mm-hmm. um, it is not important for millennials for you to have a strong brand. doesn't mean a thing. Nope. Uh, the statement is, when I shop, I always try to buy branded products. They could care less. Yep. Only a small percentage tend to agree. And they're really, really trying. And that goes across the board of products. They're really, really trying to get them back into pay attention to us because we're this brand. 92 million people. Oh, well. As you can see, time waits for no one. So we've come to the end of this hour. On behalf of the Roadworthy Drive crew, thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to Roadworthy Drive. Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester is a copyrighted presentation of the Roadworthy Drive radio network. Any rebroadcast, retransmission, or any other use is prohibited without the written consent of the Motor News Media Corporation.